Welcome to the Faith That Works in Real Life podcast of Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We invite you to subscribe to Faith That Works in Real Life on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I stood in the corner of the room as she buried her face in the soft blanket that covered her, her daughter's still and quiet body. I introduced myself when I came into the room, but in the weight of her grief, she forgot that I was there. Should I stay? Should I go? Standing back as an observer felt awkward in such a personal space. But it also felt like leaving and then returning would be more disruptive than helpful, so I just stayed. And I stood silent and still in a corner, and my heart broke as I stood there. I have seen hundreds of deaths. For four years, I was around trauma and death almost daily. And this one was pretty normal, although she was young, and her death was unexpected and tragic. But as I stood in that silent corner that day, my heart broke differently. As I stood in that silent corner, the tears began to flow. And I cried many times in my years as a hospital chaplain. It's a healthy and necessary expression of the sadness that I walked alongside. But these tears on this particular day felt different. Maybe I was just tired. It had been a really difficult and long week, and maybe I got caught up in the mother's emotions. I'm often highly intuitive and empathetic, and I can sense the emotion of a room and the individuals in it. Or maybe it was the culmination of all of the feelings my body and soul had been building up that just needed to be released. Maybe the stillness and silence of these long minutes of standing in the corner of a hospital room was exactly what my soul needed to find release and relief. Whatever their source, I just let my tears come. And as the minutes ticked past, I wasn't weeping or I wasn't sobbing. My tears were different than those of the mother draped across her daughter, kissing her hands and cheeks and forehead. First, they welled up and stung in the corner of my eyes as they blurred my sight. And then they grew heavy and I let them fall across my cheeks. But I didn't try to wipe them away or hide them or hold them back. I didn't retreat from the moment. I didn't run. Instead, I just stayed present to my sadness. And I stayed present in the wilderness of my grief. 
And with each tear that fell, I felt release. What began as an awkward internal wrestling match between staying and going became a much-needed holy and cleansing moment. And 15 minutes passed, and the sun was setting, and the room darkened, and so I took a deep breath, and I ventured out of my silent corner. And I lightly touched the mom's shoulder in an unsuccessful attempt not to startle her. She had forgotten I was there, and she apologized for, profusely for ignoring me. And I assured her that no apologies were needed. We sat and we talked for a while. She asked me to pray, and I did. And then we said our goodbyes, and I left the room to finish my paperwork and the charting that I had to do. And I made it just a few more steps down the hall before a nurse stopped me to say another person had just died. And so I thanked her and smiled awkwardly. And I took a deep breath, as I always do. And I knocked on the door of another room where another person had just died and another family was grieving. This time, doing so with a freshly clean, cleansed soul. The path was made straight. And I was more aware of Christ with me and in me than I had been even just a few moments before. In the wilderness of my grief, I was prepared and ready for what came next. I was prepared and ready to accompany this beloved family in the early steps of their journey with grief. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And in our proclamation of these words from the prophet Isaiah, our tendency is to often jump to the practical application without first hearing the invitation that's in them. We want to know what preparing the way looks like so we can just get on with it. We want to get busy preparing. But I wonder if we miss something by ignoring the invitation to step into the place where that preparation happens, the wilderness. And let's be clear, life isn't all pain and hardship, but it's also not all unicorns and rainbows. It's both, oftentimes simultaneously. But in advertising and media, and even the church, sometimes the message is so fixated on creating a shiny and happy existence all the time. But that's simply not possible. It's not a reality for most of us because many of us go through hard things and we go through them often. And it's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is much more about wholeness. And the path to wholeness leads to and through the wilderness. In the wilderness, we learn to be attuned to God's presence in a way that's different, in a way that sustains us in the good times and in the bad times. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. They were going out to him in the wilderness. They weren't medicating their pain. They weren't running from it. They weren't hiding from it. And at the time of John the Baptist, things were not easy for the people of God. At the time of John the Baptist, Jerusalem was a difficult place to be because it was occupied territory. Tiberius was a ruthless leader in Rome. And Herod, the great sons, were the local kings. And both of them were pretty unstable, if you know any of your history. 
And they kept the peace in the same way that the Romans kept the peace, which was basically, do whatever it is that we say or we will kill you. What a way to keep the peace. And the high priests and the keepers of the religious traditions weren't much better. And so you can imagine how difficult a time this was for the people of God. You think about what they had been through already. God had set them free from slavery in Egypt, yet they found themselves enslaved again at the hands of the Romans. It's a cycle that remains oh so familiar, doesn't it? I mean, this pattern is so much the same for us. We are God's forgiven people. We're forgiven and we're free. We're known and we're loved. But we often find ourselves entangled in the slavery of sin over and over and over again. Before arriving in the promised land, God's people had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So you might imagine hearing a call to return to the wilderness was one that would be the last thing that they would want to hear. You would think that the wilderness would be the very last place that they would want to return. Because we'd much rather hide the mess of our lives behind the glossy filters of our Instagram feeds and pretend that everything is perfect. Faith That Works in Real Life is being brought to you by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You can find out more about Messiah Lutheran Church by visiting messiahlc.com. But that wilderness time, as difficult and as long and as frustrating as it is and as it was, is a necessary part of the journey. It's a necessary part of the journey towards wholeness and, free, and the freedom of God's promise. It's necessary for us too. And so when John entered the scene, he called God's people to return to the wilderness, to repentance. And that's what repentance really is. Repentance is a return. It's a return to God. It's a return to the way of God. And oftentimes that takes us on a path that maybe is unexpected. When we return to God, sometimes we have to go through the difficult things. We have to acknowledge the pain. We have to deal with the hurt. We have to uncover that stuff that we've hidden and just be honest about it. And John called them to return to the wilderness, to make the path straight, to prepare the way for the Lord. And it became a significant time for them. And it was a return that they actually marked with baptism. They marked it with water that they could feel on their skin, that they could touch with their hands. They marked their return into the wilderness and their journey towards God's promise and freedom from anyone or anything that might enslave them with a physical sign that they could and that they would remember. And we do the same. That's why the font is a central fixture in our worship space. Each time as we come forward, we either walk by the water or maybe we dip our hands and we, in it and we make the sign of the cross on our forehead and we remember our baptism. We mark that sign on our foreheads to remember what God has done and what God is doing. We remember the times of difficulty and wilderness and struggle that we've been through and then we also celebrate what God is, has done and what God is doing. In the wilderness, they prepared the way of the Lord. And it was a powerful and meaningful and significant time. And it's not that God is somehow more present in the hard stuff. It's not that God is somehow more present in the wilderness than in other places. But sometimes it's easier to see the light when we step willingly into the dark. 
It's why in 12-step programs, the first step is to admit that we are powerless over whatever darkness has a hold on us and that our lives have become unmanageable. Because when darkness is exposed, it loses its grip on us. And so we stand in the corner and we cry when we need to. We admit our wrongdoings instead of hiding or running from the consequences of them. We acknowledge the things that control us more than we care to admit that they do. We confess our sins against God and against one another. And we return and we repent. We remember. We remember who God is and who we are as members of God's beloved family. And in the wilderness, the path for Christ to enter our brokenness and bring wholeness and healing becomes more straight. Oftentimes in our worship gatherings, in our more traditional gathering, we share in a prayer and a time of confession and forgiveness. That's an important piece of what we do as followers of, of Christ because it actually leads us into that wilderness space. And we mark that time in our liturgy with a prayer, like the one that we prayed at our early service. I want to put it up on the screen, and maybe we can pray it together. Richard, could you pull the, um, the, there we go, so we can see the whole thing. So let's say these words out loud together, prayer. Everlasting God, you love justice, and you hate wrongdoing. We confess the fear, greed, and self-centeredness that make us reluctant to work against oppression. We are complicit in systems of exploitation. We choose comfort over courage. We are careless with creation's bounty. Look upon us with mercy. Turn our hearts again to you. Make us glad to do your will and to walk in your ways for the sake of our waiting world. Amen. That's not a unicorn and rainbows kind of prayer, is it? That's a prayer that has some teeth. It's a return to the wilderness kind of prayer because it helps us admit that there are places in our lives where we have fallen back into the ways of our old self. That some parts of us seem to be perpetually stuck there. That the only way forward and the only way through is with Christ. And so... We pray prayers like that as a way of returning week after week to the wilderness. But as we return to the wilderness, it's not just that we lay all our stuff out on the table and we talk about how terrible and awful we are because that's not how God sees us. As we do so, as we lay all this out on the table and we're just honest about our shortcomings, we hear the invitation and the proclamation that God makes to us all. And so again, I want to share some words from the first service. I'll just read these to you. Hear these words of assurance. God clothes you with garments of salvation and covers you with robes of righteousness. In the tender compassion of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. God's covenant is eternal and God's blessing rests upon us all. And friends, this is one of the reasons why we get back together week after week after week after week to hear and know and be assured and reassured of God's love and God's promise and God's presence and God's forgiveness. And sure, we can be confident of those things apart from this place, apart from this community. We can be confident of these things because they're true outside of these walls every bit as much as they are within. But what a gift it is 
to be able to stand in community together and admit openly the kinds of things that we admit in a prayer such as that. And then, rather than being canceled or exiled or ostracized, we are forgiven and included and even invited to participate fully in the kingdom of God as we continue on the journey together. So as a community of faith, we return to the wilderness and we remember that we are loved and we are known and we are free. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. God, we give you thanks. Thank you for the way that you are present to us in the good times and in the difficult times. As we hear the invitation to come into the wilderness, to step willingly into that darkness, may we see your light. May we make the path straight for you to come. For you are coming. You have come and you are coming. You bring wholeness and healing. You remind us again and again that we are loved and known and free. So in any ways that we stray from the hope and the reality of those promises, God, I pray that you would strengthen us and remind us of your presence with us. So whatever it is that we're facing, whether that's grief, whether it's loss, whether it's addiction, whether it's struggle, whether it's hurt, whatever it is, we lay it on the table before you. And in the wilderness, we hear the good news of who you are. And we walk with you on the journey towards freedom and love and life. And we do that not just on our own, but we do that together. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm Elena, and that brings us to the end of this episode. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next week for more insights on faith that works in real life. We invite you to subscribe to Faith That Works in Real Life on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Faith That Works in Real Life is created and produced by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you would like to reach us for any reason, we can be found at messiahlc.com. Messiah Lutheran Church exists to forever change lives through the gospel of Jesus by becoming an equipping, empowering, and mobilizing church in our community that displays the love of Christ and connects with people of all walks of life through worship, communion, service, fellowship, and compassion led by the Holy Spirit and focused on the Great Commission. Please follow us on social media.